So, where were we? It's been Christmas and New Year's and lots of holidays, and uh, we've been sort of focused on that for uh, several weeks, and uh, that was an interruption, a good one, but that was an interruption in our regular course of study that we've been doing uh, for uh, quite a while now through the book of Ephesians. So I thought, oh, well, we need to sort of remember where we were. So we're going to very quickly, I hope, remember where we were in the book of Ephesians. First of all, where we were is blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, according to the book of Ephesians. If you are in Christ, there isn't a blessing that you have not been blessed with. I know sometimes you look around and it doesn't seem that way. But even then, you know that thing we say a lot, God is good all the time. Even when it seems otherwise, God has already given you all things in Christ. Wow. So that's part of where we were. Then, you know, if we, that was right in the first few verses of the book of Ephesians, verse 3 of chapter 1, in fact, is where you find that. And then if you go on to chapter 2, you'll, you'll read that where we were is saved by grace through faith. And if you ask, what do you mean saved? That, well, that word means rescued. In other words, you were doomed Something horrible was about to happen to you, and you've been saved from it. And if you study long, you'll find out that the thing that was about to happen to you was the outpouring of God's judgment upon you. And from that, you have been saved by grace through faith. And that, not of yourselves, that's what we mean when we say grace. God saved you. And when we say grace, we mean you didn't deserve it. Here's what you never want to ask God for, what you deserve. You've been saved by grace through faith. Your faith does not save you. I had a very interesting conversation this week uh, with a person who said, how do I know if I'm really resting in Christ? And it occurred to me that when I'm asking that question, how can I tell if I'm really resting in Christ? What I'm not doing is resting in Christ. When that question pops into my head, what I'm looking to is something I find in myself. What's the quality of my faith or what's the bigness or the greatness of my faith? Is my faith strong enough? Am I, am I really trusting in him? But here's the thing. You're not saved by your faith. You're saved by his grace through faith. In other words, faith is just you saying yes to being saved by his grace. Because what saves you is what Jesus did, not anything you do or could do or any 
strength of faith, it's, it's about who you trust, not how well you trust Him. And so I would encourage you to say you're saved by grace through faith, and I would encourage you to ask yourself this question, why would God save me? Why would God give me eternal life? There's only one good answer to that question, and it does not have me in the sentence. Why would God save me? The answer goes like this. Because the atoning sacrifice of Christ is adequate for my sins. Because he died for me. That's the only good answer. If I start by anything I do, I'm missing the point. It's him. It's only him. So what we found in Ephesians chapter 2 is we are saved by grace through faith, and that means we've been raised from our dead condition together with Christ. And we've been raised together with the saints in Christ. Wow. That's a good place to be. The next thing we read in chapter 2 is we're reconciled to one another and to God in Christ. And you know, in Ephesians chapter 2, it happens in that order. It's very odd that the work of Christ reconciles us to one another and then reconciles us to God as one whole reconciled new man. See, the church is built on the cross. Jesus said, I will build my church. We sometimes think it's up to us. We get to participate, but he's the one doing it by grace. So we've been reconciled to one another and to Christ. The text of Ephesians chapter 2 actually says it like this. He himself is our peace. He's the thing that erases the arguments and the fights and the conflicts between me and you. Because I have experienced the end of God's judgment in the cross of Christ, and because God's mercy and grace have been applied to me in this very way, he counts me righteous as though the very righteousness of Christ, the life lived by Jesus as a man, belonged to me. That's how God sees me. And if he sees me that way, all my sins forgotten. So what am I holding against you? I forget. And then I remember, and then I have to forget again. And then you do something else, and then I remember everything you ever did. 
And then I have to remember, God is not remembering mine. God Almighty is forgetting mine. So I can forget yours. Reconciled to one another in Christ. That's where we were. And then right in that same, very same text, he says we've been made one, one new man in him. So that we are a thing. And in fact, in the book of Ephesians, the Christian that matters is the Christian that we are together. It's not about how good of a Christian I am and you are and he and she are. It's about how good of a Christian we are as one new man in him. It's so huge. So then what? And when you get to chapter 4, he says, so then, here's what. Since all that is true, he says, since you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, since you've been saved through, by grace through faith, since you've been raised together with Christ, together with Christ, since you've been reconciled to one another and to God in Christ, since you've been made one new man in him, he says, therefore walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Now we have this problem with the word worthy because we start thinking, earn it. <laughs> we come to that sentence and we say, oh, so now I need to earn it. If you earned it, you'd undo it. You don't earn it. You never earn it. You cannot earn it. It has been given to you. It is not a revocable gift. You have it. You cannot lose it. He has given it to you. The Lord God Almighty sees you in Christ, and he sees you in the perfection of his righteousness, and he embraces you no matter what. There's no earning it. So what does this mean, walk in a manner worthy? Live your life with the weight of God's goodness to you. Live your life <laughs> feeling, knowing, understanding, grasping, trying to exhibit the magnitude of his grace. Make your life a real expression of that calling. You're not earning it. You're expressing it. And he's saying, express it. Take this magnificent opportunity that has been presented to you to live in the good righteousness of God in Christ. Be good for the people around you. And then in chapter 5, he expounds on this when he says, be imitators of God. 
be imitators of God. Show who God is. This is like saying, live out the stated purpose of God in the creation of humanity from the book of Genesis. Let us make man, according to our likeness, to bear our image. Become that. And when God made you his child in Christ, all of us one new man in Christ, you have been restored to his likeness. You now have open fellowship with the living God. Even if you sin, you can just go to him and he'll be fine. Because Jesus has covered you. And every time you sin, Jesus stands up and says, yeah, I got that. And God does not look upon you in your sin. He looks upon you in his righteousness. And so you can live in the unbounded liberty of that state. You are free to be generous, to be good, to show this love that you have received from him. You don't have to do it, but for heaven's sakes, you get to. You don't want to do anything else except when you're momentarily nuts. So be imitators of God. Walk in love as beloved children. Ah, I love that expression. Walk in love as beloved children. This is chapter 5, verse (laughs) 2. Beloved children. We, We address God Almighty as Abba, Father. And he addresses us as his beloved little ones. We can climb up in his lap and just relax. Find peace. No grace. Forget about everything else. That's a little bit of what I hope happens here every Sunday morning. Walk in love as beloved children. You know, if you try to walk in love forgetting that you are his beloved child, it's going to be a real struggle. Because that's not something you can just produce yourself. You, you need his love in order to show his love. And then he says, walk as children of light. Walk in the truth. Walk in truth telling. Be honest about yourself and everything else. Recognize reality as it really is. Walk as children of light. And the reality as it really is as you are redeemed by the blood of Christ. That is the most important thing anyone can say about you. Walk as children of light. And then we started reading about walking in wisdom. Redeeming the time, the expression is. Some translations say making the most. Using the time. Time, you know, goes by and then whatever you did with it, you're stuck with that. 
But I think what it means to redeem the time, the word redeem is actually kind of important to the meaning of this sentence. Because it means show up and change the times you are living in. Because he says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So when you, child of God, show up in these evil days, you can transform what's happening. You can be the exhibit of the goodness of God in this darkness. You can be the change necessary. You can bring the goodness. And he says, don't, you know, go around drinking too much, but be filled with the Spirit. I think this is about sort of what influence you live under. Don't waste life, but be filled. Now, most translations in the English language say be filled with the Spirit, but the word is actually different. If you read the book of Acts, people are filled with the Spirit a lot. That is, the Spirit is imagined to be the thing filling them. And so they come under his complete influence and guidance. And obviously that's good. But this expression, I think, is talking about something else in the context of the book of Ephesians. Because if you read Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul prays his most intense prayer for the people of the church, what he prays for is that by the ministry of the Spirit that they would be strengthened with power by the Spirit in the inner man. But not for no reason. The prayer in Ephesians is not that you would be strong in the end. That you would be strengthened with power by the Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that you will be a person completely occupied by the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God. So I read this, be filled by this. The word here is literally by the Spirit. It's not the same word as you find in the book of Acts when people are filled with the Spirit. This is a different word. People being filled by the Spirit. And in the context of the book of Ephesians, when the Spirit fills someone, they, he fills them with Christ. So, whatever you think of all that exegesis, this is about you being completely occupied by Jesus. And this is part of, this is one of the elements of walking in wisdom. In other words, <laughs> it would be kind of stupid for you to not be occupied by Christ. For your life to be guided by something other than the nature and character of Christ. 
and your redemption in Christ and your union with the body of Christ in Christ. For your life to be occupied by anything else is kind of dumb. If you want to be wise, you walk in Christ. And it is the work of the Spirit of God himself in you that enables you in that. And then he says, walking in wisdom is submitting to one another. What? (laughs) That can't be right. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it says. And he says it like this, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. In other words, with the awesome glory of Christ in mind, submitting to one another. And we spent some, some significant amount of time talking about how, well, that doesn't mean I do whatever you tell me. It's not that. What it really means is for me to place myself beneath another person for some particular purpose. And as we have seen in the application of that very idea right here in the book of Ephesians, and as we'll see it again this morning, uh, that submission doesn't always include anything you could call obedience. Wives submit to their husbands, and husbands submit to their wives. Do they, they don't do it exactly the same way. So it matters whether you're a wife or a husband, how you're going to go about it. But the whole commandment is everyone submitting to everyone. In other words, when I am here together with you, I am here to serve you. I should think about what is good for you. And I should be submitting to you, willing to humble myself in whatever way might be necessary that could provide something good to you. And then what you have is a list of various relationships in which Paul applies that general principle. Wives to husbands, husbands to wives, children to parents, parents to children. Masters to slaves, slaves to masters. Ugh. Gonna have to work on that one. Not this week. So that's where we are. We're at the stage where the goodness of God's grace comes to bear in our lives to instruct us about the wisdom of submitting to others. This does not seem wise. Well, at least not to me. And yet the word of God says to walk in wisdom is to submit to the people around you. And I think that means nothing less than to imitate Christ 
as he is described, say, in the book of Philippians chapter 2, where he humbles himself to be found one of us. That's the Christmas story. He became human, the eternal Son of God, the second person of the triune God, the ever-living creator of all things, became one of us. That was a giant step down. And then it says, finding himself in the form of a man, he humbled himself. So when Christ lived his day-to-day life, the Lord Jesus, God-made flesh, human being, Jesus Christ, when he lived his day-to-day life, he did it to serve the people around him. The king of kings. Oh, and he said stuff like this, if you want to be first, you put yourself last. And whoever wants to be first should serve. And The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is the prime example of this very idea that the wisest way to live is in submission to others. Wow. I'm going to need some kind of supernatural power to pull that off. I do not do that. I want people to submit to me. I want the whole wide world to do whatever the heck I need. And why don't they understand it? How will I pull this off? Only because the Lord Jesus bears me. The Lord Jesus has submitted himself so that he lifts me from below. (sighs) It's too good. It's too good. Because I know his love, I can be his love. And so we come to chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 addresses this principle to kids, children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. (laughs) We have a tendency sometimes to think kids... Well, they sort of don't count. You think kids, you know, they have to be told. They have to be directed. They have to be shown. They have to be, well, they're irresponsible. 
and maybe we should say that more kindly, they're not responsible because they're kids. But here in this very same list as wives submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ, and this list that says husbands submit to your wives by loving your wife the way Christ loves the church, it then says, kids, wait a second now. Paul addresses children directly. So the first thing I would recommend that you notice if you have children is your children are not you. Your children are themselves. And they, in a certain sense, belong to themselves. And they need to be addressed with respect and dignity because they even the tiniest baby are made in the image of God. The Lord Jesus Christ was a baby, as we have recently remembered. So the scripture addresses children directly. Now, it gives parents some particular responsibilities right here in this context, but the first thing, the first group it is addressing here is the children. And it's addressing children as though they have a choice. It is addressing children as children in Christ. You know, some people think little ones. Yeah, we better wait till they're older to try to explain the gospel and lead them to Christ. And if they say they believe in Jesus, that's wonderful, but we'll see. The Bible doesn't do that. Jesus said, bring them in. Let me talk to them. And Jesus talks to them. He says, disciples. It's like he says this, children are people too, you know. And so Paul addresses children directly. And he says, obey your parents. It's like this. He's saying, children, would you like to be, would you like to walk as wise? Would you like to be wise, little ones? Little ones in Christ? Little ones who have put your faith in the Lord Jesus? Little ones who are just as much in the one new man as anyone else here? Would you like to walk in wisdom? Well, here's what you should do then. And all obedience in the grace of God, all, the, all obedience is liberty. They could choose otherwise. Some of you have kids, so you know they often choose otherwise, I guess. But so do the rest of us. Children, if you want to walk as wise, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. And right is always wise. We have a hard time believing that sometimes, don't we? Right seems unwise to us sometimes. 
But the scripture says right is always wise, and wise is always right. And so these are kind of like two names for the same course of action. And so he says, children, when you're choosing your course of action in life, and children, you are choosing your course of action in life. And when you're doing that, whether your mom's there to spank you if you mess it up or not, you should choose this if you want to be wise. Obey your parents in the Lord. This word obey means listen. <laughs> it actually has the word for hearing in it. Listen. Listen to your folks. We read that proverb for this reason. We read that, pro that passage from Proverbs. Listen, listen. Your parents are not always right. And you don't even have to be very old as a child before you figure that out. They're not always right, but you should always listen. You should follow their instructions. Again, the Lord Jesus Christ, God Almighty made flesh, when he was a boy, what did he do? This is spelled out explicitly in Luke chapter 2 where it says he submitted himself to Mary and Joseph. They were not always right. But he was. But he submitted himself to them. He obeyed his parents. He honored his parents. He, all the time. He obeyed the law of God perfectly at all times, including that. I, I don't have any way of figuring out how exactly he pulled that off, but it's incredible. Obey your parents. This is right. This means listen and follow the instructions they give you. Do your best to follow the way of life they present to you as best. It does have this little phrase in there, in the Lord. And I think, while children obey your parents, that might apply to a Christian child whose parents are not believers. They, they still would be wise to obey their parents. And you think, how? The answer is, in the Lord, because the Lord is the one who is presenting you with this challenge, this opportunity, this commandment, obey your parents. And so to obey the Lord, you obey your parents. I think now sometimes parents are so wicked Some parents are so wicked. How can this make any sense? And I think, you know, if you have wicked parents, it is really hard to make sense out of this. Some of you might have grown up with wicked parents, and you know what I'm talking about. Really hard. And all of us in the body of Christ need to be patient with 
children who are living under those conditions. It seems impossible to me. Impossible. But here's the thing. It is always true all throughout Scripture. If someone who has legitimate authority over you exercises that authority to cause you to sin against God, you must choose obedience to God over obedience to that authority. Whenever you're presented with that choice, a lot of little kids are presented with that choice. It is heartbreaking. If we have some opportunity, we want to try to help them deal with that heartbreak. So this commandment is addressed to the Christian child primarily in the context of the church where we might expect their parents also to be believers and also to maybe try to obey the stuff we're going to read about them next week. But in my view, this must be in the context in the Lord. Kids, you need to seek obedience to your parents in, in the Lord. That is, the Lord has you. You are his child. The Lord has you. You are safe in Christ. The second commandment here for kids is honor. Honor. This goes a little bit further than obey. Value the relationship. Honor the office, you might say. Respect the person. Give honor to the fact that this person, these people, your parents, brought you into this world. And God promises a blessing to children who honor their parents. God says this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Well, that's a quotation from the law of Moses, living long in the land. And living long in the land is like saying, it's like an, uh, an expression that literally means God will bless you. You will experience God's blessing. So children who honor their parents are living wisely. And God promises a blessing to children who honor their parents. As we walk in wisdom, we are here. We, the grown ups of the body of Christ, I think, 
are called upon to help the children among us walk in wisdom. And that means we respect their personhood, their capacity to bear the image of God in Christ, their capacity to even serve in a meaningful way in, in the ministries of the church, their capacity to enjoy fellowship in the context of the body of Christ. We don't uh, treat them as meaningless people. We are willing to speak to them <laughs> with honor and respect like we would to any of each other. I believe myself that that approach empowers kids to live according to these commands. That parents who treat their children with dignity and respect, which we're going to talk about next time, parents who, who obey what the Lord advises them to be wise parents, enable this response from their children. So, next week, we're going to get to this. Parents, <laughs> can you see what the very first thing he says to parents is, fathers, do not provoke your children. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He's just going to mess with us. You should not be any kind of legitimate source of anger in the life of your child. I got to stop because time is up. And we're going to get to all of this today, but we'll save that for next time. Let us try to minister to the children among us to help them to see the wisdom of these commandments, to obey their parents, to honor their parents in the Lord. Father, thank you. It's a great challenge and a great opportunity. Lord, we uh, stand before you and we recognize the need for your grace, for your mercy uh, to, to really grasp your love for us if we are to exhibit it in these ways. We ask for your help. Fill us with the Spirit. Fill us with Christ by the Spirit to enable us to show your nature in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.